0: to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. So glad to have you along for the ride today. And we're going to talk about some of the bumps in the road, as well as the amazing opportunities that are out there for us now that we can travel safely again, knock wood. So to help me with the first part of this show, to talk about some of the bumps We have Jason Cochran. Jason is the editor-in-chief of Fromers.com. He's also the author of Fromers' Walt Disney World, Universal, and Orlando, as well as Fromers' Easy Guide to London. Hey, Jason, welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show.
1: Glad to be back to talk about the bumps.
0: You say in a recent article that's up on Fromers.com that the travel industry is putting on a bright smile and it's put on its makeup, but you know, that mascara is running a bit, that that things are not as they were in 2019. So can you talk us through how things changed and how travelers should adapt to these changes?
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people listening have already sort of heard stories already. You know, when you go to the airport domestically in the U.S., there the waits are long for the TSA. You know, when right. you when you try to get a hotel reservation, you find it's full and you should have done it four months ago. Time and again, travel is just not... Uh, the easy experience that it used to be. I have friends who've tried to travel spontaneously the way they did before the pandemic and find when they get to a city, they can't do anything that they thought they were going to be able to do because they hadn't planned ahead. So travel What city is, did is
0: that have
1: happen trouble that, I had a friend who came, well, he was, was road tripping. And when he came through Los Angeles, he couldn't go huh. to the restaurant he wanted to go to. couldn't do the park he wanted to do because everything had all booked up. Yeah, uh, so, he, you know, he, felt he had to come back again later in the year to to have the trip he intended to have the first time, but didn't plan for it.
0: Wow. Yeah, I was just this morning, I went to, I'm updating my book, Fromer's Day by Day in New York City, and I thought I would take a couple more photos on the High Line, head to the High Line, find out I can't go up because I don't have a reservation for a park.
1: Yeah. Who knew? No, so, yeah. uh, no, all this is not to complain that, you know, right. Businesses have to do what they have to do under the circumstances. I'm just letting As people do governments. Know exactly. That that it's happening and we need to be patient this year. We can't approach this as the doors are wide open again exactly the way it was. Why is my steak arriving on time and why is it cold? You know, because a lot of people are just having trouble. There are supply troubles. Their are yeah. factories aren't putting out things as quickly as they used to, so things are coming off of menus. You know, there's there's um, TSA, of course, as I mentioned before. They're not going to be fully staffed, they think, until early fall. Um, this is what it's going to be having, this summer.
0: They're having specific problems in, in 13 cities, right, which you list in the article. So, No, 130
1: if, cities they've warned about. Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: Wow. They so what cities are they having problems in then? <laughs>
1: That's a good question. Um, wow. yeah, So it's it, it, so it's that is about a TSA problem. They've they've had trouble holding on to staff for a long time before the pandemic, sure. and they're just they're just taking time to to get back up to speed because this takes training. You know, you can't just hire someone and put them on the line the next day unsupervised. But right. it is happening across the board. You know, lots of people would like to go back to work but can't find childcare. So And their schools aren't all open, so they need to be with their kids. So that's become a major issue among working parents that has yet to be sorted out because the government really ha- in the past hasn't felt the need to get that involved with childcare, And now it's realizing sure. it's a crucial component of being able to get people back to work and something maybe will have to be done. So the point I make in the article is things are in, in flux right now. It's not the experience you're probably used to, but we should all be patient because we're on yes. our way to hopefully something better. That you know, right. when 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 people get hired back, it, it, it'll be they'll be with more job security, so they'll be less afraid to take a, a waiter job again. Like, you know, because last year all the waiters and hotel workers were dumped at the first sign of trouble and they had nothing. And people are right. afraid to get right back into that without some safety nets. You know, it's gonna it's gonna take some time. And and I think you even pointed out to me one Pauline, um, you said that the airlines have long wait times on the phone. You wrote this great article about it. And one of the big reasons is that they, they let so many people go, they gave them early yep. retirement and now they need to retrain a whole bunch of people again. Well, um, I was so going to, I was going
0: to talk about that. I, I, when I went to Michigan, I had to change my return flight and I got confused by the way Delta's system was set up and accidentally I booked another flight rather than changing the flight within 24 hours as you're supposed to be able to do so for free. And, uh, I got on the Delta system and I texted back and forth with a representative, but she, I didn't realize till I was in Michigan, she messed it up. She canceled the flight I wanted to take and kept me on the flight I had changed from. And so the night before, the day before I'm supposed to fly out, I get one of these check in for your flight tomorrow and it's for the wrong time. And I was on Mackinac Island. And my flight was supposed to be at 8 a.m. On the, in the morning. And uh, it, I was a two-hour drive from the airport and there wasn't even a ferry until 7 a.m. So there was no way I was making that flight. And I, I got on the phone this time with, with uh, United. I called them. I went out to dinner with my cell phone still waiting. It took because me... Because they had to wait. They had to call you
1: back. It's because the wait time They was wouldn't so long. call
0: me back. Delta does not call back. That's how bad it is. They're not even giving you the option to take a call yeah, back now. Well, I now. had
1: that happen to me in Orlando. I needed to change a flight and I had to call JetBlue and they won't call you back either. So I had to sit through an entire dinner with my ear pods in for fear that I would be disconnected You know, while I was on
0: hold. The frustrating yeah. thing is... It was their fault that I was on the wrong flight, I think, because I had texted back and forth with an agent after trying to get through on the phone and giving up uh, originally, and she had changed it, but she changed it to the wrong thing. So when I called back, they wanted to to charge me more money for what I thought was their fault, uh, their mistake.
1: Did they end up charging you for it?
0: I was scared that I would get stuck and not get. Yeah, yeah. so I, I I ate the 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 amount that was different. I, I asked to speak with a manager. The manager did not bend, but I guess this is my revenge. Well, I tell you, Pauline, <laughs> i you know, well, t- like, you know, talking podcast. about it. Pauline, but I tell yeah. you, you handle it
1: better than other people are handling it because you know we've we've all read about cases of people blowing their tops on airplanes. Oh yeah, you know, grounding flights because they won't wear a mask, or worse, getting violent with flight attendants. And this will not yeah. do. People are, are you know, this is the, the whole point of my article was like expect difficulties. Nobody on either side of the service counter wants things to go difficult, but badly. We're all doing whatever we can do, right? Sure, Including the sure. People who helped you incorrectly, I'm sure they wouldn't have wanted that to happen. It was an accident. No. So we have right. to be patient right now. And the airlines have even, I think it was an American and uh, maybe Southwest said, we're not bringing alcohol sales back anytime soon because everyone's fuse is too short right now. They didn't put it in those words, but right. that's essentially why. So travel is difficult. This summer, you just but just please try to be as generous as possible. Go into your Zen state, <laughs> pop the CBD, whatever it needs. <laughs> you need to do.
0: Well, we're going to talk also about the joys of travel. I, it, you know, after we talk about some more bumps, and and to me, one of the biggest bumps coming back has been with the cruise lines. The cruise lines, most of them announced we will not have unvaccinated people on our ships. And I thought that was a smart thing. I mean, you you think of norovirus and, and things that the cruise lines have done wrong in the past in terms of not guaranteeing the safety and health of their passengers. And I thought, okay, take the hard line on this one. That makes sense. But
1: it's also what the CDC has said, by the way, the CDC yep. says, if you restart on American shores, we want everyone to be vaccinated.
0: Right. But the, the CDC uh, does not have the agreement of the governors of Florida and Texas. And so because they have made it the laws in those states that you cannot ask somebody legally what their vaccine status is, it looks like certain of the cruise lines now have rolled back that pledge
1: but only for ships leaving from those two states. So if you're going to get on a Royal Caribbean ship in Seattle to take their Alaska cruises, which thank goodness are coming back soon, you will need to prove vaccination because that's the rule for those ships. But if you leave from... Uh, port everglades in fort lauderdale they can't ask you legally at the moment until this is i think going to go to arbitration between federal and state you know another legal fight need, yeah. but they're, they're <laughs> not allowed to ask you um and just to make this wrinkle even messier uh, there was a ship in the caribbean a, Carib- a celebrity ship which is owned by royal caribbean on which everyone had been asked if they're vaccinated because it left from saint martin and at near the end of this trip, two people who shared a cabin were discovered to have COVID-19 oh. without symptoms, even though they had been vaccinated and they had tested negatively uh, before wow. they got on board, which is another requirement. But, you know, I, I, we saw the headline and people got very upset. I'll never go on a cruise. You, you see all sorts of commentary online. They handled it extremely well. This is not March of twenty twenty. Um so they kept them in their cabin and then eventually they were at the next stop they were taken away privately and allowed to go home, I think on a charter flight or some some means that the uh cruise line had supplied, and the cruise completed its course and it's go go back again. So it was not the mass freakout that we had, for example, in Japan. Um uh-huh. so just just keep that in mind. Things. This is, hap- this is When it does happen, and it looks like it will because those people were vaccinated, there are now protocols in mind on how to control it and keep everyone from being trapped on the ship.
0: Well, and that shows to me, again, why you need to have everybody vaccinated, even though they did get it. You know, I've been on social media, and whenever we tweet out about this article, somebody says to me, what does it matter to you if you've been vaccinated? Yeah, you well- can't get it from an unvaccinated person. But that's only the beginning of the ramifications. Well, first of all, for example, certain islands won't.
1: What? That's exactly. You're right. Well, first of all, it's not true because there were two people on a vaccinated cruise who did. So that's not true. But you're right. Certain islands. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: Certain islands will not allow these ships to land unless they can prove that everybody on board has been vaccinated. So yeah, now that they can islands. no longer do that, yes. uh, it, it's really going to curtail where these ships can go and thus curtail the enjoyability of your cruise, I think.
1: It could theoretically, because if there are more uh, outbreaks in these little Caribbean islands that cannot handle a big outbreak, uh, right. you know, logistically, they can't send people to the neighboring hospital because they're on an island so it's it's a it is a concern and it's something that florida uh, government has not really thought through because if that cruise is now not allowed to ask and then it shows up in a foreign country on one of its port days and they want to know who's vaccinated that could risk the entire itinerary of the cruise and their ability to land anywhere
0: yeah yeah it's going to be really so it is interesting it's not just a matter
1: of personal choice although again on social media people argue about if it's only a matter of personal choice but there are other considerations that have to do with these other foreign governments who are sovereign, who who do have a right to know uh, what kind of people are coming into their country. And this takes that choice away from them.
0: As well, if you're a parent with Mm -hmm. a child who can't be vaccinated, and so you want to have a vacation where most people will be, well, that choice has been taken away from you. I mean, there's so many different
1: wrinkles. Once again, for the court system to decide which is going to be the, the main course, you know, is it going to be the CDC saying everyone should be vaccinated? Or is it going to be the governments of Florida and Texas over overruling a uh, business's choices for itself? Uh, we're going to find right. out what the court system has to say about it.
0: Yeah. Now, on to the joy of travel. I have been having such a wonderful week because I am finishing up the research on my book, New York City Day by Day. And because in the last decade, but really speeding up just in the last couple of years, so many new observation decks have opened in New York City. I decided that uh, it, it was the responsible journalistic thing to do to go to them all so I could compare them. And it has been so joyous and so life-affirming to be going to these different observation decks, not only because New York City is so damn beautiful. uh, It's just such a a marvel from the sky where you you, you see this island that they couldn't get any wider or longer. It got a little bit wider and longer because yes, there is landfills on which park was created, but for the most part, because of the constraints of being an island, everything had to get vertical. And just the art- artistry and the daring do of these towers, tower after tower after tower. It's just, it's just beautiful to see. But also what's been so nice is a lot of these places have outdoor decks. In fact, all do but one. And everybody is so happy to be out there and taking photos. I was at the edge yesterday. The edge is the one that's in Hudson Yards, and it has these big glass walls going up the side. They're about two inches thick, and supposedly the whole group of us could have leaned on them and they wouldn't have fallen. And then there's this one part in the observation deck, and it's, it's an unusual deck in that it juts out from the side of the building, which makes it the tallest sky deck, which is different than an observation deck in this hemisphere and because of that they created this massive triangle that it's glass and you look down you know a hundred stories and everybody's lying down on that and grabbing they have a champagne bar and toasting upward and doing cute poses and it it just was so life-affirming to be in a crowd again you know a, a crowd of people having fun And doing something as wholesome as just looking at a city and marveling at it. It it was such a simple thing. And I thought I'd get tired going to observation deck after observation deck. And I, I wanted to do this chapter because you really should only go to one in your, in the course of your visit. They're expensive and. You know, they, they don't take longer than an hour, which the cost doesn't amortize that well. I still think they're worth doing, very much so. Which is, which
1: is the one you t- recommend above all, then, if you can only choose one?
0: The Empire State Building.
1: Because of, you know, the it's, it's the, the tallest, oldest
0: one. It? It's the tallest. Yes, oh yes. Uh, you have to pay a lot to go to the top top deck, but that is the tallest. That's right. Because there's 86 or so
1: whatever it is, and then there's a one about 20 above that. In
0: 100 that 102 uh, on the okay. 102nd floor. But they have a wonderful exhibit, uh, leading up to you going up to see the view where you see clips from the movies and TV shows and you learn about the remarkably fast construction period and, and, you know, and, and a lot of the history is very moving. And you, you feel like you're, you're part of a bigger story when you're there. I think they do that very, very well. So that's still my favorite. Also because they don't have glass. You're not looking through glass. You're looking through. Uh, they have a kind of a narrow, what what would metal fence, and you can get your camera through that, so you never get any reflection or glare, which you do in some of the other ones. So for for photography, I think that's the best and one for fresh that air, I saw. Like- <laughs> yeah, I, I saw one that isn't opening yet. That isn't open yet. Uh, I got to take a hard hat tour of one that's called Summit. Uh, it's going to be at 1 Vanderbilt, which is the massive new skyscraper right next to Grand Central Station. And they are going to have, that's going to be the <laughs> the observation deck that people drop acid before they go to. Because it's going to be such a surreal experience. There are certain things I've been embargoed. So I can't tell you everything that you'll experience there. But they've got some wacky things planned One of the things I can tell you is they're going to have an all-glass elevator, including the floor, going up the side of the building, which is going to be be, uh, terrifying.
1: Exactly. (laughs) I think of Roald Dahl, but probably not in a good way.
0: Right, right. So anyway, so it's been... It's been such a delight seeing the city coming back to life. I mean, as I said, I was in the meatpacking district earlier and there were such big crowds. You had to get a ticket to go into a park. But, you know, so be it. I'm not thrilled about the overcrowding returning, but I know it's important to the city. And, you know, when when Broadway is open on a Saturday afternoon, a lot of those people will go to a matinee. And we Things will to even again. out,
1: too. I mean, yeah. everyone's yes. getting out for the, you know, because they've been needing to get out. And by the end of the summer, I think, you know, it will be more manageable and fewer unpleasant surprises. It's just maybe in the meantime, don't go to all the popular places you used to go to this summer. Try to discover new ones that were off the beaten path and we might have a better chance of fewer crowds, you know, smaller crowds.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when isn't Brian there a
1: new Harry opens. Potter attraction slash store?
0: Yes, I went to the Harry Potter store the other day. Uh, it has a lot of interactive stuff. I think if you're a fan, you'd be in heaven there. I'm not a fan. I, I'm not a not fan. I just don't really care either way. Generational. But, you know, it's generational. I read them to the books to my kids. I think they're better to read to yourself than to read aloud, especially the later ones, which get very long. Yeah, it's cute. You know, you can have a duel with uh, swords, kind of on this table that shows where your sword is shooting and things of that sort. You know, mean? A, a wand, yes. See, yeah. I'm really not that big of it. Did they have yes. butter beer? Oh, yes, they had butter beer. I was so shocked by the cost that I decided not to do it. It was like eight uh, or nine
1: dollars, like at the theme parks. Like, that's what they charged for. Yeah,
0: it was like nine dollars for a glass yeah. of non-alcoholic beverage. I thought, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't do it. But, but everybody else around me was really having a ball. And I've been going to great new restaurants. Uh, lots of new places are opening. Some, some of the places were just new to me. I went to a restaurant the other day that was called Farida, and it was the food of Central Asia. So food from Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan mostly. And it was delicious. Uh, They had a coal fireplace in the back where they were grilling kebabs and making pilafs. And it was was really, it was delicious and it was kind of a kooky decor. They really tried to give you a feeling of Uzbekistan, which is where the owner's from. And so there was like a row of books all about Uzbekistan and then on the walls, There were a lot of very colorful weapons, uh, like knives and pistol cases. It was a lot of weapons. And then in one corner, there was a big TV screen where Central Asian music videos were playing, and those were hilarious. It was the best. It was great. Loved it. Loved it. So that'll that'll be be in the book. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well- As always, it's been a delight speaking with you. I have one more guest, so don't turn off this podcast. And thank you, Jason. Enjoy your weekend. See you soon. Next up is Georgina Lawton, who has a wonderful new book out. It's called Black Girl, Take the World, The Travel Bible for Black Women with Boundless Wanderlust. Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show, Georgina. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I think you've written a book that is very unusual in that it's both hugely useful and very joyous. Uh, mm. But you... You started in a very, uh, I think culturally and historically sensitive way. you you talk about the fact that black travelers have to, in a sense, take back the activity
2: of traveling. is it is it fair mm. to put it in that way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess I think in many ways traveling while black is quite boundary breaking. Um, there's been lots of structural, barriers that have impeded um women traveling in general but specifically black women um so i wanted to acknowledge that and you know talk about the privileges that i have as a lighter skinned black woman with a british passport and how that's impacted my my traveling um so yeah I, i sort of address that in the introduction and and talk about why um why these barriers exist and how they've shaped us um as black women you know coming from different parts of the world
0: Right. William. you also go way deep into history uh, and talk about the fact that originally a lot of Africans were taken uh, against their will from their homelands. And that was the first journey uh, or big journey mm. for many for many black travelers. Uh, mm. And so you want to turn that on its head, which I thought was a, a beautiful goal of this book.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was the only journey that so many black people embarked upon hundreds of years. Um, And then there was no such thing as traveling for leisure. There was no such thing as traveling for pleasure. Once you were taken from your homeland and forced into chattel slavery or forced into slavery in, in the South, there was no such thing as, you know, rest periods. Travel just wasn't a thing. So I think there's been you know, hundreds of years have passed since then, but the legacy of that colonial history still weighs really heavily upon sure. black women when they move around the world unaccompanied. And I think it's really important that we address that before we start to talk about, you know, reclaiming things or, or taking taking back our travel time. Right. Absolutely. And so you have a whole chapter called Traveling
0: While Black. Yes. What are the big tips you would give to somebody who maybe hasn't traveled a lot, who is a person of color and who wants to get out there? So
2: traveling while black, I was saying in the book that it means lots of different things for lots of different people. Um, And it depends on, you know, the passport that you have, the accent that you have, um, the skin tone that you have, the stature that you have. And I talk about, you know how different aspects of our identities intersect with one another. Um, I spoke to Annette Richmond, who's the founder of Fat Girls Travelling, and she was saying that, you know, in some parts of Asia, it's actually her size that attracts more attention when she's on the mm. road rather than her skin colour, because, wow. you know, being being petite and being small is is of real importance in many Asian countries. That's the beauty standard in which they kind of base, base a lot of their... Um, Uh, their 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 hierarchies around so you know I talk about different things that could happen to you depending on how you look and depending on your your background and your passport but I also talk about kind of the joy that comes from being black and going say to a black majority country so Hmm. what it means to blend in as a local what it means to pass as a local you know I spoke about going to Cuba and being mistaken for for Cuban um, and how that afforded me kind of you know really amazing connections with locals as a content creator as a journalist being able to you know move through these communities sort of undisturbed that's a real privilege that Mm. a lot of our white counterparts would kill for white photojournalists white um white content creators because you, you know we can move through these spaces without being noticeable without looking like a tourist without standing out and I wrote about that and how that's really um such a privilege in many ways but how that also comes with a big responsibility you know like just because you look Mm. like somebody else doesn't mean that you should expect them to behave a certain way or it doesn't mean that you should expect them to let you pay less for certain items but of course that is that is something that will happen because if I didn't open my mouth and and speak too much Spanish people would charge me way less for you know items I remember paying like half the price for donuts one day and then I went back with my German friend and suddenly the price had doubled and he was like oh yeah that's the price I always pay and I was like no hang on yesterday it was cheaper and it was because I was on my own and I was just I didn't even realize I just passed as a local without realizing so you know all of that stuff is really illuminating and it lets you know a little bit more about your place in the world as a black traveler and it lets you see how blackness is constructed around the world so
0: and i love the fact that that you said that you shouldn't have gotten the lower price you weren't a local you know i think a mm. lot of travelers get upset they mm. feel i'm being overcharged because this isn't what the locals pay but mm. we come from a place of privilege if we're traveling, we, that means we have a certain level of money usually, and maybe we do pay a little more. And that,
2: to me, that's okay. I think that's what we should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's this kind of like fascination with haggling as, as people from, <laughs> right. you know, quote unquote, Western countries where we're fascinated with getting the rock bottom price for that bag or for, the, you know, that purse. And sometimes it is just downright rude because we come from yeah. a country in which our pound or our dollar is worth so much more. And you know, these people are trying to make a living out of out of selling things in, in the sure. in their countries that we, we are we are visitors in. So to constantly keep trying to, you know, go for the, the lowest common price in every single transaction that you make, I think, you know, it it just smacks. There are ethical in. issues with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. lots of ethical issues. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: You also go deeply into travelling alone and you give such smart, savvy advice on Dining alone, which is something Mm. that that a lot of people who are coupled up don't do that often or a lot of people who are solos get nervous about when they have to do it in a place that they don't know very well. So Mm. would you mind giving some advice for our listeners on, on how to dine alone?
2: And yeah, enjoy Absolutely, it. yeah. I I loved writing that piece because I'm I'm a foodie. I love my food, and I feel like eating out alone is just such a such a treat. It's such a form of pure indulgence. And I said in the book, it's like it's really luxe. It's like a total boss move. You can just sit. You don't have to hold converse, conversation with anybody. You can just enjoy right. every new flavor, every new dish that comes your way. But of course, you can feel super self conscious. So I think not even for you know black female travelers, but for anyone that's traveling on their own, you can feel like, okay, people are looking at me. And I think that's definitely heightened if you don't look like the clientele around you. But generally, I think, um, you know, not overthinking it, not everybody's going to be looking at you as much as you think. Usually when it comes to um, eating alone, everybody's just kind of focused on their own dish. So first step is just kind of relax, ease into it. And also start small, like depending on your confidence or depending on how how big you want to go, like you don't have to go out to a fancy, you know, dinner with white tablecloth at 9pm and, you know, you're surrounded by couples. You could just start off small, ease yourself in, go to sort of like a lunchtime menu where they have offers, where it's a bit more casual, where you can choose your seat. And then once you're a little bit more confident, then hell, like if you want to book your book your, um, you know, extravagant meal by the waterfront. Yeah, Yeah, your fancy tablecloth, go for it. But like start off small, start off by doing, you know, like a little kind of um, takeaway thing, maybe sitting by a bench or going to a food court. Start off by going for lunchtime menus where there's offers and then more casual and then work your way up to it. And also, you know, speak to the staff. If you're on your own, you feel awkward, make friends with the bartender, make friends with the people serving you, ask them for tips about what to order, speak to them about, you know, the country in which you find yourself. Really kind of engage with people beyond... Their service roles as well. I think that's great advice for for any traveler that finds that themselves on my, their own.
0: That was my favorite bit of your advice because I, I think you can you can often have incredible conversations with yeah. the folks if you kind of make them your ally. You know, and you're there, mm-hmm. the staff, and, the, and the, you know they can see you're alone and and you you treat them like human beings. You you engage in the conversation. You ask for their advice, and you get a real look at the local culture uh, exactly. from somebody who knows you know exactly
2: it's it's about yeah it's seeing people beyond you know the constructed roles in which <laughs> In which they're operating, you know, in, in in society. If it's somebody that's serving your food and they look interesting, or you want to know a little bit more about, you know, the place in which you, you are, just ask, ask them for some tips, strike right. up conversation, yeah. and you know, the evening will go a lot faster when you're friends with the barman. I can promise you that. So <laughs> absolutely. Well, you have this expertise because you spent over a year on the road
0: as a single woman, and you dated people as you went places. Uh, which is something I, you know, I've been doing this show first on radio, now on podcast for a good 20 years now, I think it's Mm. been, and I'm not sure if I've ever discussed dating on the road with anybody before. Mm. What, what, how do you do that safely? How do you get through the cultural barriers?
2: (laughs) How do you do that? Well, very good questions. I guess, again, it's very different for everybody. Um, But for me, apps were a great way to meet people. You know, I've used Tinder in New York. I've used it in, where else have I used it? Maybe Brazil. I'm trying to think if I used it in Brazil and then also oh, the um, people in Brazil are so beautiful you must have dated some gorgeous
0: people there I went with my husband so I'm a little jealous
2: oh yeah it's, a, it's an amazing amazing <laughs> I was really flattered because I blended into um, mm. the city in Rio everybody thought I was a karaoke you know like a local person wow. from there and I was like what a compliment thank you guys <laughs> yeah oh my goodness yeah they're the some of the most beautiful people in the world yeah beautiful I've and an, a lovely open kind of lovely culture too. yes really kind of vibrant culture and yeah I really enjoyed my time in brazil um and i just met people kind of like i was doing homestays i did homestays in nicaragua and cuba and kind of you meet people through that because you're staying with a local family i was trying to learn spanish so i was staying with local families and i i met people through that you know i ended up going on a date with somebody who you know i met through a homestay who was a a a local person from from cuba from havana And that was just kind of how things developed. It was all Mm. quite easy, but of course, like there's different there's different cultural norms, and if you're expecting, you know, the traditional kind of the guy pays and you are taken out, that's not always the way. And I think you need to be upfront with expectations. I think you need to be aware, I guess, of your wealth and class privilege and how that translates in another country. Um, Mm. Because often, I think a lot of a lot of guys will see you as a tourist and, and see you as a bit of a cash cow so if that's not something that you are comfortable with then you need to have those conversations even if there is a language barrier there's definitely ways to translate that information so i've had friends that you know are quite happy to pay for everything in exchange for a relationship that's on their terms i've had people that you know want to stick to more traditional notions of dating but it's difficult when you are not speaking the same language so i think you know translation apps always help right (laughs) Um, absolutely and just staying safe. I think I'm a fan of taxi apps. I think that's a great way for you to keep track of where you're going for anyone else who might be trying to find you to keep track of where you're going because all those cabs go through the app. Everybody's, you know, licensed. So when I'm abroad and I can use those apps, I prefer those over kind of hailing cabs at the end of a night to just go home. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also using cash, always having some cash on me. This Mm -hmm. is a tip that I put in the book, but if you find yourself at the end of the night the clubs have closed or you're drunk and you can't find your way home or you're not feeling the guy that you're with like if you have cash cash is a way in which you can always stay safe like if you can't use your phone because it's not a digital country you can't use uber whatever if you've got cash you can always buy a taxi home or you can always you know ask somebody else if you can charge your phone in their house or whatever it might be tips that you know would be really difficult to do if you just didn't have money in your pocket i think having cash can, can talk for you, I think, when, <laughs> when nothing else can. <laughs> Absolutely. You also discuss some of the
0: destinations one should consider. And you came up with some very unusual ones. You say the number one in North America, you made Chiapas, Mexico. I've been to many parts of Mexico. I've never been to
2: Chiapas. Why is it so wonderful? For me, I think it was just the kind of vibe like the people were very relaxed in Mexico I found it really easy to travel throughout Mexico and I think yeah it was just the, the combination of great food great people and a very relaxed chilled out kind of vibe and also the nature there is lovely it's a really mountainous mm. state um, there are lots of ancient ruins and quaint towns and the Mayan ruins of Palenque which are just gorgeous I think there's a lot to see there and, of course, and you know, it's I'm, easy
0: to get around from place to place?
2: Yeah, I was getting buses through Mexico for a month huh. and it was it was super easy. You know, I, I felt quite safe. Um, I found that was the the preferred mode of transport for me um, as a single backpacker. And, you know, they're all air conditioned. Um, oh, that's nice. Yes, that you know, gas stations. Yeah, they felt very safe. But, you know, I, right. I stuck to kind of mainstream routes and mainstream kind of bus companies. But to me, I had a great experience bussing around Mexico for a month.
0: Wow. And you also choose in Europe. Now, to me, it's near impossible to choose which is the best uh, <laughs> uh, city in Europe. But you chose
2: a favorite of mine, Lisbon. What to you makes that the ideal city for your readers to go to? It's funny you say that because I'm based in Lisbon now and I've been there for nine oh, months. Yeah. Wow, is, lucky you. Yeah, yeah although it's a fantastic city. A strange time during the pandemic to be there, but, you know, everywhere yeah, is strange. Yeah, I thought, you know, I I left last September, so September 2020. And it was when travel to Lisbon was still allowed. And, you know, it was sort of the end of summer in in both countries in the UK and Portugal. And I just, I didn't want to be in the UK anymore. So when it was safe to do so, and I remember I didn't even need to get a COVID test. It was at the time that no one was getting COVID tested. It was crazy. Mm. They weren't introduced yet, but I just flew over and it was very relaxed at the time. It was before kind of, you know, the, the second, third lockdown in Europe and i've been a couple of times before but now i've been there for you know nine ten months i can tell you that wow. it's just a really beautiful city it's understated elegance you know it's kind of shabby chic in parts there's these gorgeous huge colorful buildings um and there's a lot of kind of rehab of those buildings going on there's a lot of regeneration there's a lot of attention in lisbon at the minute and i think um it's definitely been a city that's 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 booming in real estate terms in the past sort of 10 years and it's going to keep going but it's got that perfect balance of beach and city it's got that perfect balance lifestyle wise that i couldn't really find in london like you know you've got mountains and you've got an outdoor culture that you just don't really get in in cities like new york or london and then kind of work wise it's it's very relaxed there's some great co-working spaces the food is all amazing and really and not very too affordable. expensive no yeah. yeah it's very affordable it's all very fresh like all the seafood is, is really fresh super affordable the rent you know to live on your own as a woman is such a privilege and I'm able to do that in Lisbon in a way that I'm just not in London so it's hmm. um it's ticking lots of boxes for me at the minute I have to say
0: yeah um, yeah all right well we we hit on this very briefly but you got the assignment to write this book pre-pandemic but you wrote it during the pandemic. So how, how did that affect the advice you gave?
2: Yeah, it was an interesting one. I got the deal kind of 2019 and I'd come back from, you know, year, year and a half of traveling solo, worked with some great brands, done some really good solo trips and was looking to kind of consolidate all this information that I'd accumulated as a writer, um, as a traveler. And then, I started writing it and the pandemic started and it was a case of, right, okay, we could put in all these references to COVID and, you know, traveling with masks, but what if it's outdated by the time the book comes out? Right, And we kind of had a call, me and my editors, and, you know, it was just decided that we should write as, as travel stands now. So I had to put in tips and, you know, insight into traveling during COVID and of course, a part of me hopes that by the time the book come out, it, it would be outdated and that we'd be in a different state. But of course, this this is very much our new normal now. So a lot of the tips yeah. that I've got in there for traveling during the pandemic, you know, they're tips that a lot of us luckily use for all our journeys, you know, from getting from your house right. to the shops, is pretty much the same safety precautions that you take when you get on the plane, you know, you sanitize your hands, you wear a mask, you try and social distance. So all of that is a is a part of our, our new form of traveling now. Like that's a part of our new normal. So once I put right. those tips in, it was, it was actually fine. And I thought hopefully maybe it'll be all over by the time the book comes out, but it's not. And you know, it's fine because it's
0: going days. to linger. It's going to be, yes. you know, here and there. It's a very here strange thing. It, in New York city, sometimes you wear masks, sometimes you don't mm. and it's not mm. really clear what the rules are right now, but in um, London. yeah. Yeah, well, not wood. Hopefully, it, it all keeps getting better, and, and we, we get back to normal
2: or yeah. some kind, some well, form of normal. It's, it's, <laughs> I don't really know what there was, ever was a normal, but exactly. But anyway. this is the new normal, and it's it's great in a way that the safety precautions are the same for for all of us traveling now. Like it's weird, but it's just become a part of our life, and it's embedded yeah. into sort of every journey that we do. So I thought, why not put it in the book because it will be relevant, you know, for a, for a while to come, unfortunately, or fortunately. <laughs> as right. the book well, still... that's what
0: makes the book so useful. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Georgina, for appearing on the Frommer Travel Show. Thank you so much for having me. And that is it for this week's podcast. We thank you so much for listening. Uh, and to those who are traveling, as always, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage.